Hello and welcome to Decaf, where it is only 11 a.m., but Mark and I already feel like we have had the longest day of our lives. This is the third Zoom call in a row that we have been on together, and he had one before that, and I had an appointment before that. We are, um, I need another cup of coffee. Mark, do you have coffee? <laughs> this is my sixth cup, so I, I, I'm good for today. I stopped by the I gas know. station. I had a whole pot and I've already had an energy drink. It's like, it is, it's been an early morning, a lot going on. So oh, I had to go fill up my gas this morning at seven 15 as I was headed to my first appointment. And when I got out to my car, it rained last night. Did it rain in your neighborhood last night, Mark? I didn't go outside. So maybe <laughs> Okay, it poured here last night and then it froze. I couldn't get my car door open. And so I was going around my car, yanking on my car doors. I finally got a back seat door open and climbed over the seat to get my car to pull out. And by, when I went to the gas station, I went in and got a warm cup of coffee because I couldn't get my um, gas door to open. And so I held the warm coffee up against that ice and it melted it so that I could fill up my car with gas. It has been a chaotic morning for your girl. I would have loved to be somebody at the gas station. Be like, what is wrong with that person? Like, is, is is there something like wrong with her? Because like they probably didn't know why you were doing that. I was so embarrassed. I had on a beanie and I just pulled it down over my eyes and I had my mask on. I was just like so embarrassed. Be embarrassed that you wear beanies, but either way. Mark doesn't like my style. I think I have great style. Mark doesn't like my style. I don't like beanies. No, I don't like the hipster thing. Your style is fine, but the hipster stuff's garbage. Okay, well, I don't like your jazz hats. So understandable. We're, we're open to free market. We can talk about that. I'm not going to take offense to it. It's I don't cool, like it. but you don't. I already, I already don't like how we started this podcast. Um, okay, so another thing that that Mark and I disagree. Well, I actually don't know if we disagree on this. I probably won't get the COVID vaccine, but you probably will. Yeah, yeah, I'll get the vaccine. I, I might wait a couple days just to make sure it's, but I, I'll definitely get it early because I feel like once I get it, I can kind of do whatever I want at that point. Like, I get it 100% accurate. It might only be 94, 95% effective. But like, once I get it, it's going to be a free for all. I'm going to go anywhere I want. And, I, and I've seen that a lot of places, like, and they're talking about casinos and um, restaurants, things like that. Like, you're going to have to prove that you have the COVID vaccine in order to eat there. So uh, it would be yeah. something that. If, if I want to eat out, I would like to have that because I, you know, I like to go to get my Thai Sane. So if they ever ask for it, I need to have it ready. You don't think this feels a little bit Brave New World-ish? I mean, I just don't want the government to regulate that. If, if pri private businesses can do whatever they want, I think we've always felt that, that way. Uh, if they want to say that you have to wear a mask in their store, that's fine. Um, and if they say that you have to have a vaccine to go in, that's fine too. I mean, they're going to potentially lose business. Um, but it's not up to me. If they want to say smoking, that's fine too. I'm not going to go there, but they're allowed to do what they want. So I just feel like businesses should have the right to do whatever they choose. And if they want to let you, if they want to force you to have a vaccine to go in, that's fine. The government shouldn't force you to have a vaccine to go into a restaurant, but restaurants can do whatever they want. Okay. I think we actually do agree on that. That was, that was our first topic today. I was talking about the vaccine. We kind of just jumped right into it, but at a feat of a human ingenuity and despite the government's best efforts to hold everything up and wrap everything in red tape, we have a vaccine. <laughs> Weird that the uh, the countries who socialized healthcare are not the ones who came up with it. I'm I'm very surprised by that, aren't you? Because they always have so much ingenuity and innovation there when, when you when you government run healthcare. Yeah, socialism is the silver bullet to all problems with healthcare. Great. It, wor it works for everything. We all agree. <laughs> how did how did Venezuela not get a vaccine before we did? You no, know, I was sure it's going to be between Venezuela and Canada. I was, I was sure, but I guess not. Who, who knew? Who knew that actual human ingenuity can flourish under capitalism? Who knew? This really should be the the biggest indicator that why why 
a market-based healthcare system, which we don't even have a completely market-based system, but why that works. I mean, our pharmaceutical companies, which don't even exist in other countries because they don't let them, came up with it before the government did, because that's always what happens. This is why capitalism is good. Even a, a healthcare system that is not completely free market came up with it a lot way before any of these socialized countries. Did. And like, I, I mean, Venezuela probably doesn't even have time on all this point. So like, let's remember why free market systems are good. This is one of the reasons. Amen. Amen. And let's also talk about how if the FDA can fast track something that's going to go into the bodies of almost every American, why can't, why does it take other pharmaceuticals and drugs years and years and years and thousands and thousands of dollars to get FDA approval? It's absolutely ridiculous. If it can happen now, why can't it happen all the time? We've been saying that about COVID regulations for all this time. Why can't it, why can't it be like this for everything? And I would, I'm not going to say we should get rid of the FDA, but the FDA has got to be one of the most backwards U.S. institutions that there is. I mean, thinking about like when we did Right to Try, this idea that you couldn't get a light before we passed it and before like it, it was passed into federal law, you couldn't get a life-saving medication if it wasn't FDA approved. Like, that's insane, e even if you were dying. So, I mean, I don't think we should get rid of the FDA, but it certainly needs to be changed so that we can get these drugs out of the market quicker. I mean, it, it's literally a matter of life and death. Mm -hmm. And FDA stands in the way of progress. And not to say, again, we need to reform it, maybe not get rid of it, but that's a huge issue just in our current state of affairs. Well, there are a lot of these red tape things, and Beacon's going to be taking a closer look at that. We just published a blog post by our CEO, Justin. Uh, we'll actually say nice things about Justin this time. I hope he's listening. He wrote a really excellent blog post on why innovation is important and what it's going to take for Tennessee to be the innovation capital. And one of those things is regulatory sandbox laws, which basically let people invent and create and and pursue innovations without the government getting in their way. And then on the back end of that, going in and saying there are regulations in place, are they necessary for this? That, you know, I understand, we talk about this a lot with unions. They had their place, they had their time, now they're outdated. Certificate of need, it had its place, it had its time, and now it's outdated. There are a lot of these regulations. I think the FDA is one I'm of them. I'm not sure certificate of need ever actually had its, had a need or its time. It might've been less offensive at some point, but I mean, it's always been an awful policy. Yeah, I was being generous. Thank you for calling me out on that. Yeah. There are certain things that have had their place and they've had their time and now they're outdated and they need to go away the buffalo. It's time for them to go away. And regulatory sandbox laws, whether those apply to healthcare or not, those will be really um, impactful as far as innovation goes. We'll talk about that more, but I think right now- it's don't know what sandbox laws means to most normal people, but it's basically kind of fast tracking innovation approaches and not having them deal with- um, kind of regulations and red tape that are not dealing with health and safety and unnecessary because, I mean, you're stopping innovators from doing what they do best. And I mean, even though the FDA gets in the way of progress in, in the medical field, it's still a lot better than what we have in other countries. So hopefully we can reform it even more so that it's a better thing and people get the medications they so desperately need at a quicker, at a quicker rate. I hope that we go back after the COVID um, situation is less dire. We can go back and say, these are the things that we did away with during COVID. Let's keep them gone. Just like they do. That's the regulatory sandbox model. You, you take out the regulate, you take out a lot of the regulations so that people can innovate and create and do what they need to do to get business done. And then on the back end, you go back and say, was this really necessary? We need to take that approach nationwide, not just in Tennessee, but across the country with, with the things that um, we've rolled back during the pandemic pandemic. And hopefully a lot of these ridiculous health regulations are some of those things. Yeah. And I mean, that, and we will talk about this for, I think for the next coming months, because that's going to be a big, a big focus of ours next year. But it is important that regulations should protect health and safety of consumers. And that's basically it. It should stop interfering with people making things. It should stop having laws apply to 
um, something they were never meant to apply to because of, of unelected bureaucratic agency decided that. So, I mean, we really, we of course want to keep regulations that, that deal with health and safety, but outside of that, let people innovate, let people work. We want everyone to come to Tennessee because we want to be like the innovation capital of the U.S. without the government getting in our way. And that, I mean, it, it, it is healthcare in this instance, but it's also everything else that we work on. So I'm off my soapbox. We just need more people to innovate more without red tape that is not necessary and does not deal with health and safety. Tell him, Mark. Amen. He's had a lot of coffee this morning and I <laughs> like it. Um, you know what else is going to keep people coming in Tennessee is that income tax free environment. And we're not just income tax free with a little asterisk that includes the hall income tax. As of January 1st, I wish we had like confetti poppers as we're <laughs> talking about this. Tennessee is going to be. <laughs> <There's so many laughs> yeah, income tax free. Mark, tell us why. If for those people who don't know, tell us why January 1st is the magical date for for Tennessee to become truly income tax free. Yeah, we've been income tax free for a while, but of course we have an asterisk next to us and that it was because we still had a tax on stocks and bonds. It's called the Hall Income Tax and I, it was a long time ago it was created, but because of the work mostly of Beacon and, and, and I mean a great job by our whole team and by Justin and by everyone involved there when we did it, um, we repealed the Hall Tax in 2016 um, and it had a phase out period because it was 6%. So as of January 1st, that will be completely gone. And Tennessee will be an income tax-free state, a place that retirees will want to come, businesses want to come, a place where we really are. I mean, we're as free market of a system as you can find in the U.S. And I think that this is just another example of why Tennessee really is outpacing the nation, especially when it comes to taxes. So it's a great day. We're very excited. And, and it was the work of Justin in the legislature and Ron and, and, and our communications, Sue Zoldak, everything we did there. But uh, it'll be a great day. And, and it's really one of the biggest victories Beacon has ever had. So it, it's a huge deal for it to finally be phased out. And as of January 1st, we can say we're income tax free, which is very exciting. It's going to be really exciting. I, I always say that people ask me why I moved from Alabama to Tennessee. There were a lot of reasons, but one of the things that I say is, well, we, there's no income taxes. And people say, well, there technically is. Now, now there really, really won't be. Maybe I can convince my mom to move here. That would be when she retires. Maybe I can convince her to move to Tennessee because now it'll be an even more favorable environment for people like her. And the other thing to remember, too, is it, we need to think about things, not just how it affects us, right? Like the whole tax doesn't affect me. I, I mean, I think my investment is like I, I have a 401k and that's pretty much it. Um, but it's not about whether it affects you directly or not. It's whether it's good policy. And I see that issue a lot of student loans. It's like, oh, yeah, uh, I'm not necessarily for it, but they'll forgive my student loans. So I'll, I'll fight for this. Like the whole tax does nothing for me, but it's a good policy. And that's what we need to remember. It doesn't matter if it does something for us directly. It's, is it a good policy or not for the state? And will it lead to more, you know, more people moving to the middle class, more people moving from the middle class to the upper class? I mean, those are good policies. So we need to stop thinking about just how it affects us directly. Because I've talked to a lot of people like, oh, well, I love there's no income tax. I don't care about the whole tax because it doesn't directly affect me. It doesn't matter if it directly affects you. It affects the state. It affects the tax base. It affects more people coming in. It affects our roads, our, our schools. It's all relevant, even if it doesn't directly affect you. Well, and the thing is, don't you want it to affect you? Don't you want to be in that income bracket one day where that does directly affect you? And then you're going to yes. care. Like, it's one of those like dress for the job you want things where yeah. you you put on the the outfit of like fiscal responsibility because one day I'm going to be making a paycheck that's going to- 
that's going to take a, a huge bracket of taxes. I'm going to be in another bracket of taxes. It's going to take a whole, whole lot of money out. I want to be in a position one day where something like the hall tax would affect me. And once I get to that position, I'm going to be dang glad that Beacon worked on this, even though that you worked really, really hard on this, even though it didn't affect you personally. That's the dream. Yeah, and, and I mean, I don't know if I'll never have kids, but probably, but like, it doesn't mean school choice isn't a good policy. It's like, we just need to stop thinking about how it affects us at the moment. You can look at what you said, how it could affect us in the future, kind of our goals, but also how it affects other people and how it affects the state. It's not just about us. I think so many people view every policy through the lens of how does it affect me today? Yeah, and we have to think about the collective. And I'm, I'm by no means, I'm all about individual responsibility. I'm not like a collectivist, but we have to really think about society with a lot of these policies. And what gives people the best chance, right? It's about opportunity. It's not about, we always say it's not equal, it's not equal outcomes, equal opportunity. And we want kids to have a good education. We want people who make money. And, and I mean, the thing that people don't remember is that if you're making money in Tennessee, if you have a business and you're making a lot of money, I mean, you are doing a service. Amazon does a service for people. I can buy Christmas presents cheap that come to my door. And people are like, oh, it's all, Amazon's awful. It's, like, it's great for society. It allowed me to buy something cheaper for my parents for Christmas than I would have otherwise. It employs so many people. So anytime you have a successful business, it's because they help people, not because they're selfish millionaires, but it's because they actually provide a product that people want. So you're making people's lives better. And that's, I mean, kind of off on a tangent, but that's true. When people make a lot of money in Tennessee, it's almost always because they are doing a benefit for society and, and having a benefit for us. Well, and here's a newsflash. The government doesn't create revenue. So if more people have more discretionary, what? Take it a lot, they don't create it. Yes, and so when more people have more discretionary income to put into the economy, that's gonna help small businesses create more. It's gonna help large businesses create more. We want people to have more discretionary income to put into the economy. And by implementing policies like the Hall Tax, you have the upper echelon of income earners putting more money into the economy, which is only gonna help the rest of us have a chance to get into that upper level that people have been, that these people up here have already worked so hard to get to. So ultimately, I'm a, I'm a Reaganite, I do think that a rising tide lifts all boats. And so I think that the hall tax repeal is one of those things that's ultimately going to help even us who don't have, we, we don't have, you know, a dog in this fight per se right now. Yep. Agreed. Okay. So let's talk about something that we do have a dog in this fight, kind of, not really. I bleed crimson. We all know that the Alabama crimson tide is my is the reason I wake up in the morning. <laughs> Mark, I actually see behind you a University of Alabama magnet on your fridge. Yep, I, I, not because I like them. I mean, obviously I hate them, but I did visit there. So I also have a Georgia one. A, any, this is kind of, all these things are where I visited before. There's an old Miss one you kind of see right there. So if I've gone to a campus, I get a magnet, even if I hate 13. Okay, well, we hate you, but roll tide. Um, so <laughs> college football, college football is kind of winding down. It's about to be playoff season. Um, the reason I brought this up is because I really just want to talk about Gus Malzahn getting fired. I, and I know that's a really mean thing to say, but I think it's really interesting that he has seen relative success. You can't, I'm sorry, you just can't compare people to Nick Saban. Okay. Just put him out of the conversation completely because he has been a powerhouse at Alabama, but let's talk about the success of coaches on like a more realistic plane. Gus Malzahn saw relative success at Auburn and he was still fired, whereas Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee has really not seen success at all and he got a contract extension. I just think that this season, when college sports start winding down for the season, football starts winding down for the season, you see the coaches starting to get fired or getting new jobs. I just think it's interesting what different universities prioritize because I think Auburn should have kept Malzahn and Tennessee should have gotten rid of Pruitt, but that's just my take. 
It's an expectations game, though. And, I mean, I kind of agree with you on Pruitt. I don't agree with Malzahn. He should have absolutely been fired. But it's, it's, it's on expectations. It is based on what is expected of your school, right? Like, Middle Tennessee State's not going to have the same standard as, as the University of Tennessee. And the University of Tennessee, because it's not going to have the same standard as Auburn, because as of recent, they're not even close. Um, and so I think you have to look at – and sometimes people do fire people too quick. I think Minnesota was a great example. Um, years ago, uh, they had a great coach who was basically 8-4, and 9-3 and three every year, um, and he was fired. And then they went back to the, like – like, and they're like, oh, we're, we're not going to that next level. They fire him, and then they go basically 4-8 and eight the next six years. Like, oh, we don't realize how good we had it. And, and there's that issue too, but then there's the issue of, like, can we get to the next level with this coach? Um, right. And sometimes nine and three is not good enough in Georgia. I mean, that's what happened. I mean, they, they fired Mark Rick after like a, an incredible career because they didn't win a national championship with him. I know. So I different standards for different universities. I think Jeremy Pruitt, I agree with you. He should be on the hot seat a lot more. I do have a bold prediction as somebody who does not like the sec. I think that Tennessee pulls off a massive upset and takes Texas A&M out of the playoff picture this weekend, um, allowing for kind of a, an Alabama Notre Dame, um, Clemson, depending on what happens this weekend in Ohio State playoff. That is my prediction, and, and Texas A&M will not be thought of as, as part of that. Okay, I'm going to – I'm actually going to give Mark a little bit of real estate in my mind with this prediction because when I entered – I've only done one March Madness bracket my entire mm-hmm. life. I was still living in Alabama. I was doing it for my boyfriend's work. I didn't think I had a chance to win. I was the only girl that was doing it. I called Mark living in Tennessee and I said, I need you to do my bracket for me because I trust you. And he kept saying all of these bold things. And I was like, you're an idiot. This isn't going to happen. He goes, put it down. And I got second place and won $260. So honestly, when Mark says that he's going to make a bold prediction, I kind of, I kind of give him a little for it. I, I think that he might be right. Especially the upset thing. I mean, this is, I think Tennessee's a 14. And I, I put my money where my mouth is. Betting is legal now. I bet on Tennessee to win. It's a 14-point underdog. I bet on them to win. Um, and I also think that Alabama is going to just murder Florida, who, I mean, it, it's insane how much love these garbage SEC teams have gotten by the committee outside of Alabama. Alabama's clearly the best team, but Florida's two losses. How are they numbers? Like, and, and there's an undefeated Cincinnati team that's ninth and doesn't make any sense of these two loss teams. But I predict that um, I think it's going to be really fun because right now we have Alabama, Ohio State, which would be a really fun first round matchup there in, in the playoff. And Notre Dame and Clemson play again this week. Notre Dame won the first time. Um, if Clemson wins this weekend for the ACC championship game, I expect both teams will be in the playoffs. So it should be really fun. Um, I am not going to take any, anything away from Alabama. They have been great all year. They may or may not be the best team. They're very good. But the rest of the SEC is garbage, and the they continue to overrate these teams. And Alabama's going to be – I think Alabama beats Florida by five touchdowns. That's how bad I think it's going to be. I know. I think you're right. And if we do, just to uh, – you just gave me like a PTSD flashback when you said first-round matchup between Alabama and Ohio State because in the in, on New Year's Day of 2015 when we played Ohio State in the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans, I was there. And, man, it was so upsetting. I stopped at the 7-Eleven on the way home and got a bag of powdered donuts and went back to my hotel and just ate powdered donuts because I was so upset that we lost Ohio State because I – hate Ohio State so I do think you would beat them this year likely I mean their defense is really questionable so I do think Alabama would be a favorite but I think this is the first year in, in really recent history I remember where there there's not a clear favor I mean any of these teams could win um yeah. I mean I, and and that's been Clemson yeah. Clemson two years ago like they were not the favorites and they pulled off obviously you remember that when they killed Alabama but then you guys got revenge so um it, it's just it's really wide open. It should be fun to watch. And despite COVID, we got almost a full college football season, which is cool. 
Well, I'm going to say one last thing about college football, about Ohio State and how much I hate them. You can't put legs on an acorn and make it a mascot. Okay. I'm sorry, Ohio State. I don't know who you think. <laughs> you can't put legs on an acorn and call it a mascot. That doesn't count. I, I still think that uh, Western, if you ever seen Western Kentucky, they have the greatest mascot. It's just this big, like, red ball of fur. It's insane. I mean, it's, it's just this insane, and nobody understands where it comes from, but I agree. The Ohio State mascot's garbage. Um, but I want to say one more thing. Cincinnati should be in the playoffs. I don't care what anybody says. It's absurd that they are not in the playoffs. If they're an undefeated team and they put a two-loss team or even a, a one-loss Clemson team in over them or Notre Dame, I don't even agree with that. Cincinnati should be in the playoff. End of story. Week one of college football when David Pollock said on, on college game day that morning, he said that he thought that Cincinnati would make a run for it and be in the playoffs this year. I thought he was insane, which I never think David Pollock's insane because he's a perfect human, but <laughs> I um, I thought he was insane. And then now that I've seen how Cincinnati has played, whether or not they can they play like Florida, Florida's a two-loss team and Cincinnati's not. So I agree with you. I don't think that Florida should be taken as seriously as they're being taken right now. Well, Texas A&M one loss should not be taken as seriously. Or Iowa State, which is not an SEC team, but like they lost to Louisiana how are they ahead of Cincinnati Cincinnati would beat any of those three teams head-to-head I feel confident of it and they at least deserve if they're undefeated they deserve a shot of the playoffs especially over a two-loss team that's insane but A&M will be a two-loss after Tennessee beats them this week so I think they'll be out of it I agree with that it was nice to see Condoleezza Condi on the college game day last week as the guest picker she's she's kind of my my yeah she's amazing (laughs) she's my role model um so last thing I want to talk about is I came across a new product this week. It's not a new product. It's a new to me product. And I started thinking about it and wanted to ask Mark on the podcast. So if you're on social media, you see that there's a lot of influencers that are sponsored for various things, various products. A lot of them are probably pure garbage and don't really work. And they're just getting paid to stump for them. But there are some that I think need influencers that don't. So Mark, if you could be paid to be an Instagram or a Facebook influencer, give me a product or a few products that you would be, be fully confident in supporting. Well, I think the easiest one is the Utah Jazz as a team. I don't have to do anything different. I can just basically all the things I already do, I wear jazz clothes all the time. And I can just, I mean, I could easily get paid to be basically their number one fan and biggest ambassador. So I wouldn't it's have to change anything. They have the, per- they, they do the purple mattresses, the Utah Jazz. Oh yeah, I know. Yeah, they, oh yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Purple mattresses are like, yeah, the Jazz are the sponsors of that. That would be amazing. Have you, have you done a purple mattress before? Yeah. Oh. Well, I had a friend that had one. They're amazing. I only know about them because I like they're commercials for the jazz game. And, and I'm like, oh man. And, and I wanted to try. It was like, oh, a team that supports the jazz and the jazz are like the official, whatever the official thing of the jazz. And I, I haven't, and the jazz players do funny commercials for them too. So it's, it's I never tried it, but I, I want to because the jazz are involved. Someone I used to house it for had a purple mattress. And let me tell you, that was my favorite place to house it for because I would go to sleep on their purple mattress. It keeps you cold all night. Look at us being like influencers. I can't believe you know. I can't believe that you knew the jazz were involved. That's impressive. I know. I don't know how I knew that actually. That's that is true though. And very very impressive. Yeah, I know. I've never been more impressed with you on this podcast. That's amazing. We're only 76 episodes in, so I'm glad that I finally <laughs> so mine is a little more nerdy, but you can't really tell right now because I've been taking medicine and I got a COVID test. And it was negative. I'm not COVID sick. I just have a cold and I, but I couldn't breathe at all. Like I was not sleeping well, breathing. And so I, I went to Target and I got some of those breathe right strips <laughs> that old people wear to keep them from snoring. <laughs> Let me tell you guys, those things, if you have trouble breathing out of your nose, Mark, do you snore? I don't know this. No. Okay, well, I snore bad. And those Breathe Right strips, let me tell you, they are 
four dollars and it's the best four dollars you will ever spend if breathe right is, is it the brand breathe right or is it like is that the, is that the name of the brand i got the brand breathe right there's target brand too but i got the brand breathe okay. right because they had like a menthol one that's supposed to help with congestion so i got that let me just say if anyone from breathe right is listening I have no shame in wearing, I wore the Breathe Right strips all day, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday during the day, switched it out, got my nighttime Breathe Right strip. That is, that's the working from home life is you have your daytime Breathe Right and your nighttime Breathe Right. But I, I would absolutely stump for that product all day long. Give her like 25 cents an hour. She doesn't need more than that. If she likes it, she will work for that much money, right? I mean, if they're charging $4, I feel like they, they don't have a lot of, uh, I mean, it seems like a really good deal. So they probably don't have a lot of extra money to pay you. I will increase their footprint. I actually told my mom I was going to get her some and put them in her stocking because I think. <laughs> I feel like if I was an influencer for something like that, like I'd be like, don't even bother paying me. Like if I was Chick-fil-A, like, oh, just send me like a hundred nuggets a week and we'll call it even. Like just send me the products. I love it so much. You don't have to pay me. A hundred nuggets a week. That's like only 20 nuggets a day. I feel like I could eat more than that. I think a week is seven days. I'm not sure how much. Um, <laughs> I don't know what you think it's a week. Like on the, on the weekends, you got to. <laughs> influencers don't have a work week. It's true. <laughs> Gosh, it's been a long time. The doesn't know how many days in a week, so we figured that out today. So that's important. So Either that or Matt, one or the other. I was doing really well with the purple thing, and now I've really, really declined. I've I'm gone really downhill. But, but yes, that this was a good episode. I'm glad that we could we, we talk about the jazz and breathe right. So and purple. Okay, well, next week will be our last episode of 2020. We're going to talk about a lot of Christmas things. Um, I'm going to ask Mark for um, some some of the most embarrassing things that he's ever gotten for Christmas or that he's ever wished for <laughs> for Christmas. So I'm sure there's a lot of them. Um, but remember, hall tax is out of, it expires completely on January 1st. So if that applies to you, talk to your financial planner, see what that means for you. We're really excited about, about that and really excited to wish y'all a happy new year and a Merry Christmas next week. So Mark, we are signing off. We'll see you next week.